Though you're alive, now what? We've been looking at living well under the sun with the risen sun, which we celebrated just a few weeks ago, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And we've been working our way before that through the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is King Solomon's personal inspired journal. And as King Solomon looked at his life in his twilight years, he looked with it with excitement, but he also looked at it with with some regret. And the reason he had that regret is he looked over his life and his life was full. Everything was at his fingertips. He had all the options, but he realized that uh, a lot of his life was, was meaningless in the sense that when he put the weight of his life on it, it would not hold his life. And so for the first half of the series, we've been looking at that. And today we continue on with looking at living well under the sun with the sun. In other words, in this chapter of life, uh, it's possible for us to live well. Now, the one thing King Solomon didn't have going for him is he did not have a personal Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we can have his wisdom, we can see what's going on, we can hear from his heart, but we also have the added benefit that we can have a relationship with God through what Christ did for us. We're going to celebrate that in a few moments uh, through celebrating the Lord's Supper, communion, but we can have that relationship with him and he can join our life through the Holy Spirit and we can have that as a part of our lives as we try to live well under the sun with the risen sun. And last week, as we started to unpack this, we looked at the idea of worship, what worship's about and, and how that all works. But as we think about living well under the sun, um, all of us have to come to terms with this idea, and this idea is this. I'm depressed all the time. I worry at home. I worry at work. I worry in between home and work. I worry in my sleep just can't seem to stop worrying. When you're a single mother raising two kids, it's hard to make ends meet. There were days I really didn't think I was going to make it. But then a friend told me about money. With money, I was able to solve all my problems and be happy again. Are you one of the millions of Americans who suffer from depression? If so, ask your doctor about money. Hi, I'm Ruben Delablona. Experts agree people with depression feel better when they have some money. Janet, you always seem so happy. What's your secret? I've got money. Lots of it. You should get some, too. Oh, what a great idea. That was just one of the many testimonials from people who have discovered the problem-solving benefits of money. Here's how it works. First, identify a problem in your life. Oh, I just can't seem to lose weight. Next, find out how much money you'll need to solve the problem. Then, give your money to the people who want the money to solve your problem, and that's it. Problem solved. It's called buying, and it's that simple. Sounds great, but how do I get the money? Easy. Simply open your wallet or purse, retrieve your money, then hand your money to the person you're buying something from. I get it, but how does the money get into my wallet? No problem. Just go to your bank, fill out a withdrawal slip for the amount of money you need, hand the slip to the teller, and she'll give you the money and the amount that you've asked for. Great, but how does my money get into the bank? Nothing to it. 
Simply deposit your money into the bank where they'll keep it for you until you need it. So where do I get the money to deposit into the bank? From your wallet. But how does the money get to my wallet? From the bank. But in order for the bank to give me money for my wallet, I have to give them money first. So where does that money come from? Goodbye. You get the idea. Solomon is going to be talking about this idea of happiness, this idea of contentment. And for many of us, many of us, when we think about that, we think about how could we, in a sense, buy happiness? How can we have happiness? And a lot of our world, a lot of the things that go on in our world seem to be tied with this idea of finances, resources. And we think that happiness is tied to that. But yet at the same moment, we find that happiness can be so uh, elusive. It, it just, it's just hard to hang on to. It's hard to have. And a little fun with that little vignette shows us that, that we tack our happiness onto things that really do not deliver. Even when we have money, even when we have certain things, that really doesn't, in a sense, give us that happiness. It's, it's not as easy as that. And uh, we live in a situation where we have our own human nature that's a part of our lives, and our human nature is always, in a sense, learning or yearning for something else. Earlier on in our series, we see how Solomon writes this idea that eternity has been set in our hearts. And so there's this idea that there's, our hearts have this, this need, this hole, this, this desire to be connected with something. And uh, it just kind of weighs us down. And we can try to uh, have that void filled with a lot of other things. And, and sometimes it's, it's money. It's, it's, if we could just have certain things, that would be the answer to our lives. And if we're really honest with ourselves, how many times have you gone to sleep at night and you're putting your head on your pillow and you just said, if I just could buy this or have this, then life would be sweet. And for many of us, that never happens, so it just kind of is hanging out there. And we say, well, if I had it, then I would have happiness. But some of us actually end up being able to get that item, have that item, and then we find out that for a little while... It fills the void, or seemingly, but then it's elusive again, and it's not there. Also, we live in a world where there's lots of marketing going on. Uh, marketing, there, people are trying to get us to a place where we are dissatisfied, where we feel that we need something. Uh, we haven't seen it, so we don't know we need it, and then all of a sudden we see it, and the product is marketed well, and all of a sudden now we need it, and we think if we buy that item, have that item, uh, we see somebody else who has it, and all of a sudden we think if we have that, then we will have happiness. And that really ties on to the whole idea of our culture and uh, this idea that it's just more and more and more. And some of you have uh, read these little clips where it says, really, the reality is more is less. And on one hand, we get that in our minds, but on the other hand, we don't get that in our minds. Because if we were really to look at our life, we would say, my life doesn't live out more uh, is, is less. We live out more is more. And uh, it just is that way. And then we find happiness, contentment, whatever you want to call it, satisfaction, just just out of hand's reach. We're, we're just about to get it. We're just about to touch it. We think we have it in our hand, and it's gone again. 
And again, we, we think we can, in a sense, buy our way out of it. We think we can just have it, and that's the answer, and that will take care of all our sadness in life, but that, that isn't true. And uh, yet we know that, but we don't live it, and we don't feel it. And sometimes we, uh, in a sense, get caught up like these guys. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. And we get sucked into that. And we live that. And we're saying, could somebody help us? And it's interesting, his answer, Stanley's answer, still is financial. It's if I could get out of this debt. If I could, he, he doesn't realize that he's tagging his happiness, he's tagging his contentment to his stock, to his perceived position, to living the dream. And if he can tie his life to those things and not be in debt up to his eyeballs, things will be okay. But some of us have lived that and have discovered that isn't okay. It's just not being able to uh, balance our finances. It's, it's tagging our life, connecting our life to those things for happiness. And again, Solomon, King Solomon writes about this. King Solomon was so rich, it was so going so well in the kingdom when he was leading it that there's little expressions that talk about that silver was as common as stones. It was just, it, it, silver had no value because they had so much of it. And in a sense, you and I live in a culture where it may not be silver and stones, but even those of us who uh, it's, it's difficult for and we feel uh, financial pressure, uh, most of us are not worried about food. Most of us are not worried about uh, a roof over our, our head. Most of us uh, weren't worried about how to get to church today that we, we were going to walk. So we have that same kind of thread uh, running through our lives. And Solomon says, you know, I had it all, I experienced it all, but it wasn't enough. But my happiness, my contentment was meaningless. It was elusive. And uh, as he starts to write, we see the, the more money I have, and he's going to give us a number of things, the more money I have, this is what happens. So if you could turn over to Ecclesiastes 5.10, you'll find that on page 463 in that rack Bible around you. Um, if you don't happen to have a Bible, please feel free to take that Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, uh, take advantage of Version Bible. It's a free app. You can uh, download it onto your phone, any electronic advice, and then you can have it with you wherever you go. Uh, the, the verses also will be up on the screen. So Ecclesiastes 5, 10, page 463. And he starts off with this idea again, the more money I have, the more money I want. Unbelievable. You would think, you would think that that wouldn't be the case. But the realization is a lot of times when we tack our life onto finances, and we lean into that as the answer to our lives, we find that once we get a little bit more, it's still not enough. Probably some of you are familiar with what uh, 
the first wealthy Rockefeller said. They said, how much is enough? And he said, just a little more. Richest man on the planet at the time. And he wanted just a little more. And Solomon really lived that out for a while until he comes to his senses. And he's trying to warn us. He's saying, if you're going to live well on the planet Earth, under the sun, if you're going to live well with the sun, if you've said yes to Christ, you need to come to terms with this idea that the more money I have, the more money I want if I'm not careful. And uh, if you're not a Christ follower, if you're still trying to figure that out, I still think you're going to find some principles in this passage uh, from Ecclesiastes that you'll find helpful. So verse 10 says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. That word meaningless has the idea of vanity, emptiness. Again, it's, it's, it's like a fog. It's like a cloud. Um, if you've ever gone um, in an airplane and you get above the clouds, you look down on them, and they look solid. They look solid, but when you start to go down again with the plane, you just go right through those clouds. And what Solomon is saying is that when you and I lean on money, resources, finances, it looks like it's pretty firm, but the minute we start to put the weight of our life on it, we just go right through it. It's meaningless. It's emptiness. Now, they've done studies, and some of the studies have gone something like this. They've said that someone who's in poverty, when they start to get out of that poverty, yes, it produces a little bit more happiness. Life is a little easier. But from poverty to whatever you want to define as middle class, once you get into that section there and start going up, they found study after study after study that your happiness doesn't grow anymore. Yes, if you can't put food on the table, if you're having trouble paying medical bills, if you're uh, having trouble with transportation, housing, all those kinds of things, yes, to get to that place where, where that's possible and doable, yes, it, it does bring some stability into your life. But from that point up, it does not increase your happiness, your contentment, your satisfaction. Now, when I read this from Solomon, I'd like to say if I could have him here, well, well, let me try. Give me a few million. <laughs> I'll see if it's meaningless. Get back to me in a month or two. But I'm going to take his word for it. The king who had unlimited power, unlimited resources, he says... It's meaningless. As his life is winding down and he tries to lean into his wealth, he finds that it doesn't hold him up at all. And you know, when, when you and I find ourselves thinking that it's, it, it's having the product of having money, sometimes we, we get into debt and uh, we... we we start charging things up like poor Stanley, and we think that, in a sense, we really can, in a sense, secure our happiness, sure, our contentment. And so then a lot of us, because we do have the 
ability to credit our future, we kind of think, well, even if I can't afford it, I'll buy it because if I buy it, I'll at least have happiness and then I'll pay for it later. And this couple helps us to, to deal with that. Oh, I just can't get these numbers to add up. Like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in chapter three. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. The advice is priceless, and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. Enough said. <laughs> The more money I have, the more money I spend. That kind of makes a little more sense. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefits are they to the owners, except to feast their eyes on them? The idea is that the more finances we have, the, the more we spend. I, I can remember when Cindy and I were first married, and we anticipated someday having a little bit more money. And we thought how great things would be. I can remember, I've shared with this before, she had a, a student loan. It was $129 a month. And I thought, if we paid that off, we'd be rich. An extra $129 a month would change our lives radically. Well, they came and went. And now we are in a completely different place than we were when we began our life together 30 years ago. And the truth is, the more you have, the more you spend. Just this week, I, I realized we were paying for this little $14 thing once a month, and, and I canceled it. I mean, I go, how many of those are out there? How many of this little thing here, little there? And, and the more you have, the more you spend. 
And, and does that really end up bringing true joy, true happiness? Discovered the more stuff I have, the more stuff I have to manage. Sometimes having less is more. There are days, and, and Cindy doesn't want me to do this, there's days where I'd like to just have the same color pair of pants, three pairs of those, the same shirt, and wear the same thing every single day. <laughs> Can't get away with that yet. Rather than having a, you know, all these different color shirts, trying to figure out, did I wear that one? You know, yeah, I wore this one Easter. Is it too late to wear this one again? Anyway, yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. Just be done with that. The more money I have, the more money I spend. And then the obvious question that goes along is, how do I leverage that? How do I use that wisely? Not so that I have more to kind of lean in, that that's that cloud that when I put the weight of my life on it, my life just goes right through. It can't hold me up. But, but how do I leverage that in a way that it, it touches somebody else's life? You see, the danger, this isn't in your notes. I added this this morning. The danger is when we are focused on consuming, we find that we are consumed. When we focus on consuming, we find that we are consumed. I hate it when I buy something and I find that instead of me owning it, it owns me. Get some new little thingamajig, some new thing, and all of a sudden it owns me. Maybe it doesn't even break. Maybe it's just now that I have this thing and now I have to be aware of this. I remember one time my uh, dad gave us some fancy dishes or something that he had picked up along the way and and, and we, we, we kind of sometimes use them, but every time we use them, I'm like scared to death to use them because I don't want to get them broken. So is that for us, or is, are we living our life for those dishes? Like, okay, be careful with them, you know, you know, you know all that kind of thing. You, you know what I'm saying. Whatever that thing is, do we own it, or does it own us? Going along with this, the more money I have, the more... Money, I, the more I worry, should take out that money there, the more I worry. The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits no sleep. And most of us in this room would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not rich. But compared to the majority world, we're the minority the majority world, we are rich. And that's not to make you feel guilty, it's to make you feel thankful. It's to make us be grateful. But some of the things that we are concerned about interrupts our sleep. Whereas someone who doesn't have the abundance sleeps well. The more I have, the more, the more shiny it is. Any of us have ever bought a new car? Such a relief when the first scratch gets put on it. But until that point, you're like, don't get near the... You know, you're just totally aware of that. That new whatever. You worry about it. Abundance permits no sleep. And here's Solomon. Solomon could pay people to worry for him. And I'm sure he did. He had thousands of administrators, thousands of people running his kingdom. 
but yet he writes this. Here I am. I've got thousands of people running my kingdom, doing all these things, managing all these projects, but my abundance affects my sleep. I, I can't rest. I'm always thinking about it. I'm, I'm worried that somebody's going to take the stuff I have. The more money I have is the more money I lose. When you have a lot of something, the value of it on one hand goes down. It's not as, it's not as, you're not as concerned about it. It says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of the owners. Again, that doesn't make sense to us. It's, it's harming the owner. Too much stuff. It, it, he, he's losing because of having too much stuff. Or wealth lost through some misfortune. You, you watch, you watch some of these uh, weather tragedies across our country, and you see the person that seemed to not have as much, and they're just thankful for their life. And then you see these McMansions getting wiped out, and the people are thankful to be alive, but they're 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 weeping because they've lost all their stuff. The person who had a lot of stuff, is it, the tragedy is just ripping their heart out at a different level than the person who didn't have so much. Solomon identifies that. For the loss through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Also, I've seen this happen, and this is not to upset the uh, apple cart too much, but I've also watched, I've watched families or, or parents do really well with their money. And they, they, they have an air of satisfaction because they have saved it, held it together, managed it well. But they haven't thought about what happens when it gets transferred to the next generation. And so they manage it well. I remember one somebody early on and talking to me, and he had a little bit of irritation the way younger people spent their money, blah, blah, blah. And he was just on me, on me, on me, and, and all that kind of thing. And, and, and finally, I was still in my 20s, so you say, say things like this maybe without thinking. I said, finally, I said, Frank, I said, when you're gone, what's going to happen to all that you've done so well with? Well, my kids are going to get it great. I'm leaving a legacy. I said, you've talked about your kids. How are they going to spend it? How are they going to use it? And his jaw dropped because he realized they would spend it in all the ways that he didn't spend it, saving to pass it on. And so the end of the day, not 20 years, but after a 75-year period of time, that resources would get spent the same way as if he had just blown it himself. He didn't like me saying that. So I said, don't be so noble about the way you've saved your resources. The next generation is going to do what you wouldn't do. And so what is the end result? Not much difference. The more money I have, the more I lose. And it goes right along with this. The more money I have, I leave behind. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb as everyone comes, so they depart. 
They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous act. What do they gain since they toil for the wind? All the days they eat in darkness and the idea of working, working all day long so they're catching up to eat in the evening with great frustration, affliction, and anger. The idea of you look at what you've done, how you've spent your life, and you find Solomon found, and he was a star at it, found that he was frustrated. What did he really gain by all those projects? What did he gain? Toil for win. So, what do we do? How do we have that happiness that we're desiring? And I, I did put buying true happiness, and you're going to see that you really can't buy it, but you can use your life to, to gain it. If we flip over to uh, Philippians 4.10, we read this. I am glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. This is Paul writing this. This is Paul writing from prison. He's saying, I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. It would blow our mind. He's happy, and he doesn't have anything or little. It's like those of you who went to Honduras and were introduced to people with still having dirt floors, and the, and the highlight of their year will be the fact that you helped uh, facilitate a little cement floor for them. And you look at what you have, we have, and, and all of a sudden you see, though, a happiness that, that you don't have, but they have. What is that? What is that? Paul's saying, I'm glad in God. I'm happy in God. Remember our statement? Living well under the sun with the risen sun. It's that connection. That's what brings true happiness into our life. And that may sound like nice God words, but if it can be proven over and over again. Something we need to realize about this kind of happiness is happiness is learned, not acquired. It's learned, not acquired. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to become quite content whatever my circumstances. If you could buy that, if I could buy that, I would buy that. If I could go into you know, the grocery store and go, hey, can I have a, you know, a, a pint of contentment, and I had to buy a pint every week, I, I would do that. I would love to have that. But it's not something you really can buy. It's something you learn. It's something that you grow in. And Paul, Paul learns how to navigate that. He sees that. And again, even Solomon is reeling as that at the end of his life as he writes these thoughts down in his personal journal, journal that, that it's, it's, it wasn't acquiring something. It wasn't building something. It wasn't just making a name for himself that would bring this happiness that's so elusive to him. He wants to learn. He wants us to see that we can learn it Two, goes on with the idea that it's not based on circumstances. I'm just as happy with as little, with 
little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full, hands empty. And this is a man writing who, who was at times hungry. And then there were other times where he, he experienced lots of stuff, wasn't hungry. And he has learned the recipe of how to be happy despite his circumstances. Again, I want that recipe. I would think you would want that recipe. No matter where you are in life, no matter whether you're a Christ follower, there are moments where all of a sudden it's meaningless. You lean into the cloud and you find that that is not what brings happiness. You're chasing after something. It doesn't matter. If you could learn the recipe, if that recipe could be something you're cooking up on a daily basis. I think it's a, a daily basis cook-off. It's not, it's not you cook this meal once and then you have it. You have to daily consume, eat the recipe of contentment. And that is tied, according to Paul, to your relationship with God. And some of you may say, well, you know, I'm this faith thing, I'm not really interested. I'm here because someone's brought me here. I'm trying to please a family member, whatever, or I'm trying to figure it out. I want to ask you, how's that working for you? Are, are you, and I don't say this in a mean way, but, but are you content? And if you are, fantastic. But I'm guessing, I'm guessing it still seems elusive. Faith has something to say to that. Now, also, it's not a lack of drive or desire to grow. Contentment, happiness doesn't mean you just kind of kind of live in your happy bubble and you're not challenging yourself, you're not stretching yourself, you're not trying to be the best person you can be. Uh, it doesn't mean a lack of drive or desire. Some of us are familiar with these two little verses about a guy named Jabez. His name, Jabez, actually means one born in pain. One born in pain. And this is what he writes. He says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother named him Jabez, saying, I gave him birth in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me. Keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. The idea of bettering yourself, that, that's fine. And that, that doesn't always unfold that way, but in this case, it did. And God says good things about Jabez. It's okay to want to, it's actually not okay, it's actually a responsibility to live the best life possible you can live. To be the best with what you have, your capacity. And God wants us to be that way. So being content doesn't mean you don't try to do and be better, learn more, grow, transform, change. It's also not laziness. Lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. Now, as we say often around here, when you're looking at a proverb written by Solomon in his middle life, you've got to remember that these proverbs 
are principles, not promises. Because I can find some people that have worked hard that have not prospered. But normally, under regular circumstances, a person that works hard will prosper. Normally. Normally. But I can guarantee you, most of the time, lazy people who want much get little. Pretty obvious. So this idea of being content, being happy, being satisfied is not laziness. We're going to stop here. I'm going to give you the bottom line. We'll continue on in, in two weeks and finish this up. But happiness is not having what you want, but enjoying what you have. Next week, we'll look at what the happiness killers are out there. We'll, we'll take a look at those, and we'll discover that there are things, there are ideas, there's concepts, there's attitudes that kill our happiness, kill our contentment. And happiness is not wanting what you have, but enjoying what you have. And we're going to say for the Christ follower, that means enjoying Christ. And it means enjoying God. And it starts with that, and then life unfolds from that. So let's close in prayer before communion. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for King Solomon's uh, journal. And we thank you for how it speaks into our life all these thousands of years later. It's pretty amazing that what he says in these few verses fit with today in the world we find ourselves in. Father, I would ask that today would not be a moment of just gaining information, but there would actually be some transformation in our hearts, in our lives, the way we navigate this world, that we truly would find that happiness, contentment, can be a part of our lives. We can learn that secret. We can cook up that recipe in our own lives, beginning with our relationship with you. So no matter where someone's at this morning, I would ask that you'd help us to take that next step. For that person that's still wrestling, they would, they would say, Lord, I want to lean into you. I want you to join my life. For those of us who have already said that, that we would continue to take steps in that direction. We would find that you're a bigger part of our everyday life. We thank you for the wisdom of Solomon. We thank you that we can hear it, and we ask that you would inspire us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen.